Bhagavati Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya I bow to the Lord Vasudeva, I bow to him and all of you, because all of you are images, reflections of that one Vasudeva. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, hard that wise Mahatma is, that one who saith, all is Vasudeva. This is what we want to achieve in our spiritual path, to understand that he is everywhere. And one of the most wonderful things about living with a guru, about having a guru, is that you develop a relationship with him that helps to make the relationship with God more concrete. Because he is God in human form. This is what Krishna was also. He was God in human form. And so people learn to relate to him as a person and then also as God. You know the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita where Arjuna has this vision of the infinite and as it says figuratively that he has a thousand arms and a thousand heads and legs and so on. It doesn't mean it literally. My gosh, what a grotesque figure that would be. What he means is he's everywhere. He's all these forms are a part of his own forms. He's walking through all these people. He's thinking through all these minds. But then, at the end of this glorious vision, Arjuna said, Lord, I would love to see you as my dear friend, as him whom I know and love. And so Krishna came back to him in that human form. Well, we need both. And without the human form, it's very difficult to reach the infinite. And without understanding the infinite is the reality, it's very difficult not to become caught in the human form. I, I remember one evening, it was interesting, because my guru was very impersonal, but so loving, you couldn't help loving him as a person too. And uh, there was one evening where I felt especially how dear he was. And uh, we were at a, in a house, in a home in Pasadena, and I remember I couldn't keep my eyes open. I was just always sort of closing them in meditation, and uh, his presence and his magnetism just overwhelmed me. There were several of us disciples there. And uh, as I was leaving, the hostess said, I see you're a real student of yoga. I said, a student of Yogananda, you mean? It was very personal. But you know an interesting thing? When we got home, he sent me to my room to meditate. He kept the others there. He didn't want me to get lost in that personal side. And so there was always this beautiful play between the personal and the impersonal. But when you, the more you got the hang of it, the more you began to understand how beautiful it was that in that form there was the infinite. Like that time I was sitting at his feet and he was editing and when he finished the editing he asked me to help him stand and he just held my hands a while and looked blissfully into my eyes and said, 
just the bulge of the ocean. He didn't even say it with that lilt of just the bulge, that's more human, just the bulge of the ocean. I don't know how to explain to you, but it's well worth your trying to understand because God is not just a stern policeman up there ordering you, making you suffer when you do wrong. He is your friend. And there is a beautiful story here in this book, Conversations with Yogananda, which explains uh, one aspect of this. There was an old man, a disciple of the Master's, who wanted to visit his guru at Mount Washington. The Master instructed him, go by streetcar to the bottom of the hill. When you get there, phone up and I'll have someone drive down and pick you up. The man, however, when he reached the bottom of the hill, decided to walk up to the ashram. He had no idea that the way was so long and so steep, it really is. Apart from his age, he was handicapped by a severe pain in his back. He had been walking only a short distance when the pain grew excruciating. He was almost exhausted from fatigue. He simply was not able to proceed any further. He also, however, couldn't retrace his steps. He sat down by the roadside, helpless. Just then, a car that was coming up the hill stopped beside him, and the driver called out to him, Get in! Gladly the man accepted. As they continued up the hill, the driver commented, I don't know what made me come up this way. I usually come by another route. When the master greeted his elderly disciple, he remarked, I had to work a bit to get that man to come your way. He then placed his hand caressingly on the man's back, and the pain vanished instantly. The guru is not just your teacher. He is your friend, the truest friend you'll ever have. And unlike those friends who are supportive of your delusions, he doesn't support your delusions. He's always on the side of the angels within you. He's always there encouraging you. And if he's stern, it's only as a friend to help you to overcome the uh, little slip you might have into a desire for this or for that. He's always there. And if you fall away, he's always there. The Guru is your friend for eternity. When I met him and he accepted me, he said, I give you my unconditional love. Just think what that means. That no matter what I do, he still will be my friend. This is an aspect of them that most people didn't see. It's not that it wasn't there to be seen. It's that their own eyes were too hooked up with egotism, too bound with delusion, with ignorance. But no matter what, he was there to help you. I have seen even close disciples talk about as if there were hierarchies, some closer, some not so close. I've been in ashrams in India where people say, oh, this one was with the guru today, he must be specially favored. Listen, the guru, if he's a true guru, has no favorites. But he can manifest more to some because, as Ananda Mohima used to say, I'm like a drum. As you beat me, so I sound. And so it is that if you come with a certain bhav of love, of devotion, they respond accordingly. But if you come with skepticism, 
they respond accordingly. I saw in her case one time a woman wanting to sort of purchase her attention by giving her all these these gifts, a pen and this thing. Of course, Ronald Boy didn't write even, but uh, anyway, as she was giving these things, Ananda Boy Ma was not impressed, and she just sort of looked off into the distance. Well, that was an appropriate reaction. The woman wasn't putting out the kind of love. It's only love that draws that kind of attention. But when you have that love and when you give it, then automatically God responds through the guru. Remember, it's not a person. If this is a true guru, as my guru said, I killed Yogananda long ago. No one dwells in this temple now but God. When you really understand that, it's not your ego and another ego. Whenever I looked into his eyes, I could not see a flicker of likes, dislikes, pleasure, displeasure, none of that. There wasn't even an ego there. There was just the infinite looking at me through that calm gaze. You just don't realize what a tremendous gift India gave to the West and to my country in coming there. Such a person, I, I made it a point to mix with thousands of people. I wanted to be a writer. And so I would always just go everywhere, meet everybody, and it was sort of great fun. I was very exuberant when I was a young man, but I never met anyone like him. There was just a, I never saw the calm authority, the calm wisdom, the impersonal but absolutely unconditional love. And how can you really even think that he gives his unconditional love to some and not to others? I think that it means that he gives it as a commitment. In other words, he can't. He loves everybody impersonally, no matter how they behave toward him. But to give that love means as a commitment to the disciple that I will be there for you whenever you need me. I am here to help you to find the infinite Lord. This is what the relationship of a disciple is. In too many ashrams have I seen people looking for um, the ego game of, oh, he recognizes that person, oh, will he recognize me, looking hopefully that the guru will bestow a glance on you. I used to find in my guru's ashram, well, it was more difficult with him because I would like to stay at the outskirts and just meditate on him, but he was always looking at me, so I really couldn't. But when I would go to other saints here in India where I didn't have that kind of a role to play, um, I would sit or stand at the outskirts and just, I didn't care whether that saint looked at me or not, just to feel the bliss of that presence. Kannavati, I forget the words in Sanskrit, but just as a lotus is restless uh, until um, just as a, a drop of water on a lotus is restless until it goes down into the heart of the lotus. Even so, the mind is very restless until it enters the silence within. But just one moment in the presence of a great saint, and I never met anyone who was so inspiring to me as he I keep repeating this because you don't realize in this country 
What a great gift you gave to the world in sending that ambassador, that representative. He came with a great mission and great, great spiritual power. And I have had the chance to meet many, many saints in this country. I have been inspired in their presence. I don't mean that I sat there judging and criticizing and saying, oh, this one's greater than that. I remember there was an interesting uh, episode that happened. I've mentioned it in my book, The Path, um, at the beginning there. In fact, I think I'll read it to you because it's a very good story. It is after we had been to see the movie of Gandev. Gandev, or Ganeshwar, was a great saint of India just 700 years ago. And, uh, well, I wasn't planning to read this, and so therefore, oh, here we are. No, we're not. Sorry. A group of Paramahansa Yogananda's disciples had gone with him to see a movie about the life of Gandhev, a great saint of medieval India. Afterwards, they gathered and listened to the master explaining certain subtler aspects of that inspiring story. A young man in the group mentioned another film, the film of Mirabai, that he had seen in India about her, about her life, a famous, as you all would know, a famous woman saint. If you had seen that movie, he exclaimed, you wouldn't have even liked this one. Well, the truth was I edited that a little bit. What he said was, in typical hyperbole, you would have hated this movie. The guru rebuked him. Why make such comparisons? The lives of great saints manifest in various ways the same one God. But the, the lives of these great saints, God plays so many different roles. Don't go going around like a merchant weighing the merchandise. Well, this one's a little more holy in this way, that one's a little more holy in that way. In no way do I want you to think that, oh, well, I'm trying to make you think that my guru is greater than all the rest. Of course, to me, he's greater. He's my guru. But also, I do have to say that God plays so many roles. And once you have achieved that state of oneness with him, then you cannot say one is greater than the other, because all are equal in him. There must be, however, in my role here in India, I'm not here to push myself, I'm nobody. But I am a loving and, I hope, very true disciple of a great master whom very few Indians know, even those who have read Autobiography of a Yogi. They think of him as just this fortunate young man who happened to get to meet a few saints and uh, have high experiences. They don't realize that one of the greatest of India's masters went to the West. And if I can help you all to know him, each saint has something. He has a lot to give. He has a particular ray, a particular mission. And what you can gain from him in that mission is, above all, how to know God inwardly and how to bring that God and that divine experience outwardly into your daily life, into your work, into your family, into all the things that you do. 
The path of Kriya Yoga is not just doing Kriya, but manifesting from that center that you develop through Kriya, manifesting outwardly the joy of your own being. His role, and this is what we saw in him, was to help us to know God in all. So let us sing this song, Oh, Master. I think of him, but you can think of God if you like. Think as you like. Oh, Master, joy to you. Joy fill our day.
Thy wisdom guide. 